Hello and welcome back to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm James, my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. Rob and Alice are both off this week, so we've brought in some backup help from Com Radio. It's Jordan. Hi, I'm Jordan and my pronouns are he and him. You happy to be back, Jordan? Uh, I'm... No comment. Correct answer. Jo- Jordan's an absolute champion. He was playing uh, like some <laughs> video game, a thingamabob, I can't remember the name of. Um, Apex Legends, granddad. that was it. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm having a day. I'm having a day. Yeah, we pulled um, Jordan off his Nintendos to come and like do a fucking podcast. Basically, like um, I sent a message at like 10 to going, hey, would you like to jump on? And then there was a pause and Jordan was like, what, like now? And I was like, well, yes, but you can say no. And then I just got, I'm booting my computer. So uh, yeah, there we are. He's a hero. The one with his elf. Um, okay, so uh, Rob's away. And obviously that means that there's been no one qualified to do the show notes. So we did the next best thing and James did show notes instead. So uh, James, let's go. Yeah. So we'll do this starting with news nuggets thing. Um, I thought we'd start further from home, if you will, with a story which is kind of depressing, but important to hear nonetheless. So uh, did you guys hear about power being cut in Moore County over in the United States? Yes. No. Oh, well, Jordan, you're in for a treat. Um, so. Oh, oh, I, I might have heard about, is this the thing where people sh- shot up some power thing to stop a drag show? Yes, it would appear so. Is the short answer. Um, just don't call it domestic terrorism, whatever you do, because the authorities would really not like that if you did. Um, and it wasn't just one power station. Allegedly, based on what limited information we've been able to get, um, it appears that multiple power stations were shot up simultaneously um, in an act of destruction mm. that will take like multiple days to correct. And according What's, to the power um, company, large scale heavy machinery to do the replacements. What's this? What's this allegedly shit? It was it was fucking right wing dickheads forming some kind of shitty militia that shot the thing up to try and stop a drag show, which went ahead by like the the light of people's phones in the end anyway. But like, why oh, why good. are we like going? Oh, allegedly, we'll not call it domestic terror. What are they going to do? Come over here and shoot at us? They don't let them have guns on planes. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> also, you haven't named any names. So I, I, no, I, I think unless, a- unless they turn out to either not be right wing or not be dickheads. Well, no, it was so- um, it was <laughs> and that fucking that dipshit. Well, you joke, they needed a cover I- story in the media so they could go to their fucking kid fucking parties in peace. Well, it, it's it's funny because you guys are going to jump a little bit ahead because um, indeed there there was an what? individual posting online about this. Um, a former army officer who I will not directly name, but you'll be able to find out easily enough online if you bother to look, um, who resigned after the army launched an investigation into her participation on the January 6th events, the attack at the Capitol in the United States. Um, cool. She posted, like literally more or less as it happened, the power is out in Moore County and I know why. And then followed up with an at at the theatre, the Sunrise Theatre, where the Downtown Divas event was happening, um, saying, God will not be mocked. Now, 
she's kind of interesting because she supposedly, allegedly, um, is leader of a quite large right-wing group based in Moore County. Um, and she was she was investigated by the police, but um, she apparently got off oh, by well, feigning ignorance and saying police. that. Yeah, um, <laughs> feigned ignorance and said that is just clearly an act of God, sort of thing. You know, yeah, um, like it'll be an act of God when someone shows up and shoots her. Well, <laughs> what will be interesting to see is what happens with the FBI because the FBI have been called in on hopefully, this, and hopefully they'll turn up. And- <laughs> And joining us this evening is Comrade Text-to-Speech, they, them. Um, yeah. So that's that's just that's just nice. That's just cool. That's just fine. We've decided, uh, apparently, that America's just going to jump straight to, like, the, you know, armed acts of domestic terrorism stage of, like, the purging. So, uh, yeah. No, it's all good. It's all fine. It's all lovely. So, like, I think they cut... Was it cut out something like nearly... Was it 40,000 people, people or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, um, on the one hand, I'm thinking, like, maybe this is the worst possible thing they could do for their cause of getting people on their side. Uh, but then someone told me that apparently there were some people that were gl- just glad it they were trying, someone was trying to stop the drag show. And that was quite possibly the most powerfully British vibes I've heard coming from America <laughs> that they're willing to suffer if it makes someone else miserable. Yeah. Well, it is, let's be clear, like, they imported the evangelism to us, it mutated into turfery here, and now that's being imported back into the United States, so it's kind of, it fits, it flows, it's just one continuous cycle, like a human centipede. Nicking, um, if you will. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, of human centipedes, um, would you like to hear about labour continuing to eat shit? Nah. <laughs> yeah, Okay. <laughs> Uh, so you may have heard of the online safety bill that is currently winding its way through the intestines and mouths of Parliament. Oh, um, yeah, this is, we're going to ban Ethernet cables, right? Yeah, yeah basically. Um, so the government Wi-Fi is, only. Yeah, so the government is doing moral panic for the sake of basically ramming through stuff that the security services would like. What they need, and- No, they're doing it because they need some cover in the press so that they can all go to their fucking... Please, I'm begging you. I want to say to Jimmy, please. So, uh, David, you're editing this one, yeah? Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that you get a fucking pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... The- <laughs> Well, the uh, good news is that Labour are taking this whole thing very seriously and engaging constructively, and they have agreed, um, they have said that uh, VPNs, uh, virtual private networks, are bad. They're bad, and they should be banned, because they could allow children to get around the blocks against, like, children being able to see inappropriate content. Okay. So, yeah, there you go. Um, Now, there is... is Yeah, but why why would children need a VPN to see, like, inappropriate content when they could just turn on BBC Parliament and look at all the cunts they want? (laughs) (laughs) Well, not just that, but you can just use some device that doesn't have that on, which are pretty easy to access. So, if VPNs allow them to access and they should be banned, then surely... The internet should also be banned. Just no, because you see, they're going to bring in they're going to bring in some magic age regulation thing that that isn't just going to be you you, you memorize like which year on the drop down actually makes you old enough. Mm. <laughs> and you know, to to add to that, um, it's just it's just going back to the whole go down to your local, you know, uh, off license or oh, you know, yeah, similar by the, corner by the store. One month pawn pass. 
yeah, can I have my wank badge, please, mate? Like, you know, <laughs> like that's that's what they're aiming for. But the real, like, the, the, the honest purpose behind this is to try and get rid of encryption. It always has been, always will be. They, they want the to read. As ridiculous as getting rid of VPNs. Like, it just, functionally, it, society would fucking collapse. Like, ask any poor dickhead that works in IT, mm-hmm. could the business you work for survive without a VPN and just watch their face turn to fucking ash? Yeah. So it doesn't matter, though. Like, sense, facts, reality, these don't actually factor into anything to do with New Labour or with the Tories, because it's all about ideology. But it is really funny, because last time this happened, it more or less went exactly the same way, and then the Tories said that VPNs were out of scope for the review. So it'll be interesting to see if they do it this time, when they realise it can't possibly work and business will kill them. It's just Keith, like, doing his, you know, like, you're doing his desperately, like, oh, please come and vote for me. I'm actually, like, the same, I'm actually on the same side as you to the worst fucking dickheads on this cursed island. Mm. Like, you were saying today that, like, fucking the, the, the basic argument for Brexit was good or some shit. And it's, like, it's just, it's that, like, highly divorced dad urge to pretend you share interests with your children. Mm. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're really not wrong. I'm I'm here for them returning to the the policies of ban numbers, Foxteen. Yeah. Well, it's not the only policies they're proposing because keeping on the topic of Labour being shit, um, have you heard that Labour have done a really big poo and we want you to be very proud of them for it? Specifically, well, they've published a a very interesting little report, a commission on the UK's future. That sounds like the biggest lie you've ever told me. Um, no, they published a report, A New Britain, Renewing Our Democracy and Rebuilding Our Economy. Report mm. on the Commission, so, excuse me, Report of the Commission on the UK's Future. So they actually had a commission on the UK's future, and this is what they And they produced. decided there should be one. Mm, yes. Bold stance. <laughs> so um, so they, they have like, you know, an introduction, it's like um, 150 odd pages long, which oh, is, off. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty hefty. Now, I'm, I'm not going to lie, listeners, I haven't read through all of it because, Jesus Christ, is there's only so many like hours in the day and only so much will to fucking live, frankly, to get me through. Even Rob hasn't read it. That's how fucking no, unreadable yeah, it Yeah, like, Rob, the, you know, professed masochist of the pod, tapped out on this one. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's divided into sections. Section one is The Case for Change. Um, I'm just going to read you the highlights, like the titles of the chapters, to give you like a little, a little a taster, if you will. Ah, the Jess Phillips experience, right? Okay, mm, here we go. yes. Okay, the state of Britain today: a country in crisis and falling behind, which is interesting, very interesting. <laughs> okay. Falling behind. There's already there's like status politics and yeah, play but here. you can't you can't very much write like we've dropped our asshole in a fucking official report, can you? So. <laughs> Oh, I kind of want to now. Um, chapter two, getting to the root of our problems. Britain's unbalanced and unfair economy. Oh, that sounds could, could be progressive. Uh, chapter three, over-centralization in Westminster and Whitefall. Hmm, yeah, okay. Chapter four, a new Britain that works for everybody. All mm-hmm. right. And chapter five, a new economy for a new Britain. Oh, now hang on. I'm sure I've heard this before. This this chorus is feeling kind of familiar. Um, so that's that's section one where we basically lay out, look, everything sucks, but don't worry, we're going to fix it by doing new economic stuff, right? Like um, everyone will, well, if not learn to code, yeah, they're going to pay a circle to GPS tag everybody. Well, 
So section two is where it starts to get interesting um, because it has recommendations um, and it's divided into like, you know, uh, f- you know, six chapters in total. And Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, so re- reading the chapter just titles gives you a kind of overview and then we'll get some edited highlights here. So um, chapter six is renewing the purpose of the United Kingdom because, you know, the problem yeah. is our country yeah. is a country without a purpose, right? I mean, it's good for them to acknowledge that. Sure. No, um, well, we've had certain purposes before, and that wasn't, you know, good for everyone. Channeling the spirit of Rob, I'm just going to say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> um, chapter seven is the right powers in the right places. Uh... Interesting emphasis on the word right there. Um, chapter eight is, and I shit you not, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland in a reformed United Kingdom. Uh, guess which chapter we're going to in a minute. Followed by securing the benefit. I'm going to fucking pull the ripcord, cunt. (laughs) You'll not not sneak in Scott Pollard in this. Um, Well, we will see. Um, Then chapter nine is securing the benefits of cooperation. Chapter 10 is cleaning up Westminster, you know. And then chapter 11 is their one good policy that they've already rolled back from, which is a new second chamber for a new Britain. They were going to abolish the House of Lords. It's in writing. Look, it's here. And they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because Gordon Brown spoke up and said no. They were, they, were, they were going to replace it with something. So we yeah, don't actually know it was going to be a good policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it would have just been some slightly different shit. I mean, well, okay, you know what? Since we're actually sitting here, um, why don't we actually yeah, exactly see... The same, exactly the same House of Lords. They just pallet swap all the stupid fucking costumes they wear. Hmm. <laughs> So yeah, chapter chapter eleven, which is an interesting chapter title. Now I think about it, a new second chamber of parliament in a new Britain, um, and it, you know it really. The second paragraph opens by saying the Johnson administration demonstrated beyond all doubt that our system allows the government of the day, if it is heedless of propriety and convention, to act in any way it sees fit and abuse the power with which it has been entrusted. So you you know they're on like a totally normal one for this. Um, and then it goes on saying about the present legal and constitutional framework has proved inadequate to prevent this. And it demonstrates the need for new standards of propriety and methods of enforcing them. So it's all very decorum. Sir, sir, you can't do that. That's illegal. Um, and how will they make this happen? They will essentially... Machine guns. No, like their, their new recommendations <laughs> is that, you know, they want to spread political power across the country, including a bunch of regional devolution, which we'll talk about later. Um, mm-hmm. But specifically... Um, they want to get rid of the House of Lords and reform it. Um, and what we said is um, there's no constraint on the Prime Minister's power of patronage. So they just want to get rid of that, you know? Um, and we even quote Conservative Party chairman talking about how once you pay your three million, you get your peerage, etc. And we talk about how it's ungeographically, you know, geographically unrepresentative, etc., etc. And then they also go on, they take pains to say, simply abolishing the House of Lords would therefore leave a a significant gap in our constitution. But reforming it has proved very difficult. Um, And so it goes on, (laughs) and their actual... Tony Blair just never seemed to figure it out. Yeah, Hmm. funny that. Oh, well. Um, But here it is. Recommendation 37. The House of Lords should be replaced with a new Second Chamber of Parliament, an assembly of the nations and regions. That's right. We're doing Scott Paul. You didn't see it coming. Uh, yeah, no, that's, no, not, that's not Scott Paul. That's fine. 
Um, but no, their, their, their whole thing is essentially change the House of Lords to be a representative body that has representatives from Scotland, from Wales, from Northern Ireland, and the major regions of England. They're not nations, mm-hmm. don't call them nations, there is no Northumbria. Like, you know, that that's their kind of take on this, essentially. Um, do the Cornish get their own as well? Do, do Cornwall get their own? Probably, I think. Um, I don't, I didn't actually see it in here. Um... A proud nation of Cornwall. Mm. Sounds dumb. Um, don't like it. Scotland shouldn't be there. It's its own thing. I don't want Edinburgh talking for me. See, we could just fucking do this all day. Like, it's just bullshit. Don't do that shit. Just do it as an actual fucking representative thing based on population at a local level. Constituencies, you might say, you know? I don't know. Wouldn't that be just be a second House of Commons? Yes, it would be. Well, With the same problems of, like... I don't yes, know, first past the post isn't be. gonna fix everything. Yeah, it would just that be the like same it would be the same House of Commons, but like with all the costumes palette swapped, like when two people pick Ken in Street Fighter. <laughs> just just do away with the second house, fuck it. Well, what they they kinda of go on to give you contrasting views of what a second house could look like. Um they they immediately start with the US Senate, but explain the problem there is gridlock. Oh, no, so no. that's you know, the problem there that... is Americans, let's be fair. Well, <laughs> well, the, the, the problem there is that it was designed to preserve the power of slaveholders. Yeah, you know, um you're not meant to talk about that. Don't worry about you, it. But the, no, Jamie like, did the, just see Americans. Yeah. Yeah. But like oh the the, the problem with that is gridlock. Yeah. Grid, like is it still functions in the same way is that it gives a lot of like undue power to racists that's the point of it and always has been mm. well what's kind of interesting about it is they do the goldilocks thing essentially where they do well you know the u.s senate the bad america it has the risk of gridlock but it's just you know it's too hard and then, by contrast, Canada, the good America, um, it has a, a wholly appointed. <laughs> it has a wholly appointed Senate whose members represent different provinces. Um, again, with the smaller ones proportionally overrepresented, but they are conventionally subject to the will of like the elected chamber. But there kind of seems to be a take that that's too soft. So they're suggesting that there's some common threads here that should guide it, some decorum and propriety that should suggest how we reform the council lords. And this is good because it says second chambers tend to be differently constituted. Some but by no means all, directly elected, and usually have weaker powers than the main elected chamber. In larger countries, they typically have an explicitly geographic role, with representation structured by states or provinces in a federation, rather than the population directly. Can you see no, where this shit is going? This, this is... This is just, they just want to make all of the bad things happen. <laughs> yeah, so my, my skimming through this and reading through it, I think what they essentially want to do, which they're not going to be already said, like this is this is all news, which is why I'm reading it. Um, they they have tossed this out and they've said, hey, we should reform the House of Lords and get like basically the US Senate, except it can be overridden by the House of Commons, right? And, so what's the point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but we just saying, have that now. Yeah, except yeah. <laughs> except except this will be geographically representative rather than patronage representative. So rather than like play, paying three million to oh. like the Conservative Party to get a peerage, instead you'll be like elected or paying three million to the SNP. Kind of, yeah, basically. Quality. I mean, who gives a shit? You could put any fucking pile of cunts in any building they want and say they do like whatever the 
or don't do whatever they need to to keep the country running. It's not like anyone sensible is still under the illusion that any of that shit fucking matters at this point. <laughs> like, well, oh, it's going to be representative is. of the regions, is it though? Is it really? <laughs> I mean, like, oh, the, 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 the House of Lords isn't elected. They don't represent the people. It's like, well, none of the fucking 600-odd cunts we actually directly elected represent the fucking people either. You, yeah. Your local councils don't even represent your local people, so... But also, also, aren't the current constituencies in the House of Commons somewhat representative for the regions in that SNP's not as broadly supported across the UK, but regionally in Scotland, they have more support, so they get a lot more seats in Parliament, right? Mm. Like, don't we already have this? And, like, the thing that we're missing is, like, a direct <laughs> democracy where proportional representation is yeah. in place. Yeah, there's, there's an argument there to be made that no, there's, there's not, because first past the post is dog shit. Um, mm-hmm. The other side of it is that, like... <laughs> The th- what what I really don't fucking get about why they would do this. Of all the people to do this, it would be fucking Labour. Why would you <laughs> set such a fucking trap for yourself to have to answer the question, how many Scotlands is England worth? Like, well, why put a number on that? Why why do that unless it's going to be equal weighting? But at that point, you're saying, is Scotland worth a Cornwall? Is that is that all that Scotland is? Is it, is it merely a region or whatever? It's... The, the, it's total shooting your own dick for the sake of doing it material the dumbest fucking policy this is the thing they've explicitly ruled out doing it by population in any way shape or form so yeah but hey never mind because like the whole purpose of this is made clear in recommendation 38 and i want you to gird yourselves to this one because this is a belter recommendation 38 the second chamber should complement the house of commons with a new role of safeguarding the UK constitution subject to an agreed procedure that sustains the primacy of the House of Commons. They, wait, they, well, wait, wait, so the constitution one that we don't have. Well, they're, they're proposing that one be made and that certain rights be enshrined in it, but these be thought through very carefully and it's all a bit nebulous, frankly. And again, so like, not happening. They've already rolled back from this. <laughs> But I'm, so I'm guessing, like the I don't know, the right to food or the right to housing won't be in there. I think it's a safe bet. Like I'm pretty confident that won't be in it. Um, <sighs> also, uh, they they do have recommendation thirty nine, which is yeah, the sec the new second chamber must have electoral legitimacy. <laughs> That'd be a first, and the- should be markedly <laughs> smaller than the present Lords, chosen on a different electoral cycle with a precise composition and method election matters for consultation. Wasn't this a cons- consultation? Are they apparently uh, not? Are they just trying to bore everyone into giving up on democracy? Basically, no. They're using the Scottish government method um, of of doing things. So you, you you run a little report, then you send it away for a consultation, and it comes back as another report, and then you do another consultation on it, and then at some point down the line, you may get something back from it. Mm. Maybe like three parliaments from now. Yeah. Which by hopefully by which point it's not their problem anymore. Like that's yep. kind of the point of it. We do have like uh, in chapter twelve they have a whole thing on conclusion and next steps, um, including consulting the public, etc., etc., etc. Preparation advance of a Labour government, which is uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful high hopes. And um, yeah, their final recommendation, recommendation forty. We recommend that the necessary consultation and preparatory work should begin now, and that this should include a ground-up conversation with people of Britain. I think, I mean, they want to grind up the people of Britain and then consult them, but, you know. 
And that's it. That is that is the big poo that Labour have done. And aren't they really, you know, very special boys? And look, they, they did it in its appropriate place this time. And, um, oh, one of them has already picked it up and thrown it out the window. Thanks, Gordon. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Congrats. Well done on them putting the shit in their own pants this time. Mm. So that's that's basically the news in brief uh, this week. Um, you know, depressing, but I mean, what isn't uh, these days? So um, for our main topic tonight, I thought, why don't we, why don't we, you know, cast ourselves away from this world of like material problems and material issues and material concerns, and why don't we go solidly immaterial? Why don't we talk about the tech sector tonight? Yes, we're going into the fucking metaverse finally. Well, legs are coming. <laughs> In- That's a different kind of game, David. Ah, <laughs> uh, you never want to see David Steamless. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> No, in, in all seriousness, all is not well in the tech sector. Um, it's not looking good. good. It's not looking rosy. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the thing about I the tech sector... It goes down with all hands <laughs> in as like, many you, flames as possible. I think Jamie means he wants a, uh, <laughs> like a all-hands meeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's a bit vague. Um, but no, in all seriousness, um, the tech center, sector is not well. And in many ways, the social media companies are kind of a canary in the coal mine. Um, and the reason I mean, why was, is was because... the tech sector ever well? Yeah, yeah, like, really. Well, it was it was on life support like from it, the beginning, it, and now the, the modern, there's like, free money's gone. The tech sector, as we like describe it today, is just proof that STEM bros should just be like herded into fucking office jobs and then ignored. Never let them think they're clever or important. <laughs> it's like gremlins. You, you don't feed them after midnight. You don't get them wet, and you don't give them startup capital. <laughs> No. <laughs> we should simply return to tradition and bring back pets.com yeah well um you've kind of i mean you've, you've you've hit on the through thread of where this is ultimately going but let's have let's have the fun of the journey of getting there because the, the reason they're like the, the social media companies reason they're of interest is they're dependent on advertising and advertising is pretty much always the first budget to be cut in an economic downturn um, and the social media companies are the least actual physical product producing of the tech sector companies. And so as they go, others will soon follow, starting with those companies that produce like the least actual stuff. Um, so I think like it'd be interesting to see the way this world is going by looking at the two great and thriving dodos, Facebook and Twitter. Um, so tonight we're gonna we're gonna go into a little bit of a history and development of Twitter and um, Facebook, just to kind of see get get a taster, if you will, of the way the wind is blowing and what we have to expect. So, with that all in mind, if you're all ready, um, I thought we'd start with the decline and fall of the Facebook empire. Um, and I know, yes, like, please. we kind of we. So here's the thing: we're not going to go into this in the same depth as, for example, Trash Future might, because that's not our ballywick or all the rest of it. Um, instead, we're just going to kind of recap some of the stuff we've talked about in general across the past couple of years and kind of tie it all together with a big Jordan at the end. So, mm. um, to kind of set the stage, in October 2021, Facebook decided to rename itself to Meta as part of a switch in focus to move beyond just social media. Um, Zuckerberg, the owner of Facebook, had big plans, and these plans immediately hit their first hurdle when they realized there's already a tech company called Meta. Um, no, no basic research, just like, oh, we'll call ourselves Meta, that sounds great, hang on, there is a Meta, oh. But this is no problem, because they just tweaked it to Meta Platforms Incorporated, um, doing business as Meta. 
And this is kind of a theme here because it plants their flag firmly on the hill of we don't need to nail the details. We have lawyers to deal with the problems. And that in microcosm is a lot of like the tech sector. So move fast, break things. Basically, right? move fast, break things, let the lawyers tidy it up, right? Yeah. This um, is why we are registered as a practice cast limited and uh, trading as twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, we've we've got how much of a percentage stakehold from Patreon at this point? Who knows? Um, but it's also like to, to understand how we got to this point and where it's going, it's worth kind of doing a little bit of a detour and going back. Like we need to talk about Zuckerberg, basically, because in many ways, this story is the story of Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and the guys like them, because that's the thing, that's the special thing, the special boys, if you will, of Silicon Valley. Um, and so it's worth asking how Zuckerberg ended up as the boy king of the world's most powerful social media empire. So we need to kind of rewind all the way back. We need to, as David said, return. So cast your minds back. 2003, a little known guy named Tom launches MySpace. He grows the website to become the biggest social networking site in the world by 2005, in just two years. And then he sells out for a cool $580 million. And on this horse of like cold hard cash, he rides off into the sunset, never to be heard from again. He's periodically kind of spotted living his best life and doing stuff for charity, but that's it. And this is an illustrative story because MySpace Tom is our gallant tech bro to the parade of goofuses we're currently saddled with. This then leads to, like, as part of the buyout, News Corp basically got hold of MySpace and they started running it into the ground and basically failed to understand the product they were dealing with because ultimately News Corporation is a, you know, news service. They care about syndication. The whole, you know, for them, it was like a glorified comment section almost. Um, and so as a consequence, MySpace quickly grew old and stale, at which point we have enter our man Zuckerberg. And I want to just say, right, if you're listening, stop. Stop listening to this podcast and go watch the film The Social Network. Um, it's got an excellent soundtrack by Atticus Ross and that guy from Star Wars Galaxies. It's really quite good. Um, take the time to just soak it in. It's, it gives you something of the soul, if you will, the man we'll be discussing. Yeah, or don't. And just imagine, a, imagine a fucking dickhead and rotate that in your mind. <laughs> Addictasia. I can't rotate dickheads in my mind. Anyway, um... So that then, you know, we then have to ask the question, how did Zuckerberg actually make Facebook? And the answer I would posit to you, and I think is quite well substantiated. And we'll HTML go into. and notepad. <laughs> <laughs> according, according to the social network, yes, actually, which is one of my favorite little bits in it. I honestly think that's a sight gag. But anyway, um, the, the answer I'd put to you is that he tripped over his own dick into success by being in the right place at the right time and being just smart enough to recognize the value in what he had. So to like run through the process for those of you who can't be bothered to watch the film, he went to Harvard and he made a hot or not rating system which pulled photos of his college classmates from all over Harvard, from Harvard's internal Facebook. That is, if you want to know who someone is, see what they look like, you log on to it and you could see any of the students or faculty and go like, all oh, right, that's what Professor So-and-so looks like. So you could spot him, right? Um, so he had this Facebook and he just ripped pictures from it and set up a hot or not, right? With all the students and, you know, some of the faculty, not all of them, Um and he got disciplined for this. It got shut down, like, more or less straight away because he had literally no consent to do this. This might be, you know, almost like a, a premonition of how we would behave later on. Um, but the thing is, it caught fire among the students. Like, they, he got in tremendous engagement off the back of it. 
And after being told, no, you can't do that, that's illegal, Zuckerberg basically went, well, why don't I make my own Facebook with blackjack and hookers and get people to willingly share their content to it so I'll then have permission? And that's how Facebook got started. That's even where the name comes from. Um, so he made fa Facebook at first just for Harvard, and then by request expanded it out to the other Ivy League schools. This is the least surprising story about a Harvard guy that yeah. he just wanted to make a website where you could say, like, is this woman hot or not? Yeah. And by the way, she will never talk to you. Yeah. Um, but when you know it, like, exclusivity breeds desire because it quickly became that having our Facebook, as it was said at the time, was like a symbol for exclusivity when most people were getting really fed up with MySpace. So Zuckerberg had just enough intelligence to recognize there was popular demand for what was restricted to the Ivy Leagues. Um, and so his path to kind of uh, get there may have been accidental, but at this point he thought, hang on, I can do something with this. And so he slowly widened it out beyond the Ivy Leagues to anyone who had an EDU address, um, which meant that kind of by accident, Facebook was the platform for young, hip, kind of up and coming, you know, young or things. Or daddy or. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally invoking dated lingo because I'm dated. Um and basically, like, it, it meant that both the older generation who were past, like, the university days kind of envied it, but also the high school kids who wanted to be, like, the cool college kids all envied it. And it meant even more kind of demand kind of coalesced. I mean, eventually, um, he started then to spread for global domination by just going through the uh, educational email address system. Um, I originally, way back in the day, I signed up for Facebook, not really knowing what it was, and then did nothing with it. And I only got on because I had, a, you know, basically an AC UK address, essentially. Um, but this is how he did his global domination. And at some point, you took the walls down and then everyone was allowed in. Um, and so kind of a takeaway from this is that Mark Zuckerberg didn't have a clue what he was doing at the start. He just saw opportunity and went for it. Or and in the middle or at the end. Well, well, we'll get to the end soon enough. Don't worry. Um, you know, in capitalism, we call this being an innovator. But in all seriousness, had he done this two years earlier or maybe two years later, there's every chance Facebook would have floundered and just been his own little niche thing. Um, so you have to ask, what lesson did Mark Zuckerberg take from this, right? Um, and you might think, oh, I've been very lucky and I should be humble. AKA Why would you think that? Obviously, <laughs> obviously, the lesson he took from it is that like, he, he himself was put here directly by the hand of God to lead mankind into a better future. <laughs> it's the same with every single one of these fucking cunts. It's always like, oh, no, yeah, I, I think that we need to preserve humanity and ensure that like there is a better tomorrow for all of the people on Earth. That's why I've invented like sell your blood to the rich dot com and like fucking, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And we use those profits to fund death squads. Mm. Well, the other lesson he took is that legs are a bourgeois indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to save costs somewhere, right? You can't do right? horny without legs. That was that was his entire thought process there. And frankly, <laughs> frankly, he's he's if he's really the fucking king of the internet, he should know fucking better. Well. <laughs> It's interesting you say that he's, you know, he clearly thought there he was appointed by... There are people online who will find the absence of legs itself to be horny, Mark. I hate to break this to you, but you cannot fucking win. <laughs> well, it is interesting that you say he thinks he's appointed by God, because the question is, which God? To which the answer is Jupiter, because... Yeah, he's, he's a big Julius Caesar guy. No, not Julius Caesar. Oh, no, who Augustus. is he? Augustus. Augustus. Yeah. Um, 
I shit you not, this is all true. He took the lesson that he was the golden one chosen by Jupiter and Mother Rome to lead us to a new golden age. And, and like, that's why his haircut looks like it does. It's the haircut of Emperor Augustus from his, like, marble busts, and I'm not making this shit up. Um, I assume that fucking Macron and him don't quite get along. Mm. See when... See when that new chatbot they've invented like becomes Skynet and invents invents time travel. I'm going back to shoot all of the ancient Romans as a warning to statue nonces everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mark Zuckerberg's a, basically a statue nonce. That's that's the kind of takeaway. But is this why that picture of him, uh, like in all of the sunscreen, that like he looks completely painted white? Is that just him trying to look like one of the statues as well? Yeah. <laughs> What, what the kind of thing about this is he clearly decides it's his destiny and so he decides he's going to become the president of the united states right um by the way he quit harvard and never graduated because you know he, being ordained what need does well, he have why, for why such minor need, like, things do you know what i mean if you've got like 11 billion dollars from starting a fucking like website for boomers to scream about how the postman is stealing their brains or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean like oh i'm not i don't i don't get milk anymore because the milkman's too woke uh, Jamie, Jamie, can 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 you cut that? Because we are doing that. <laughs> well, just fucking like, why would you wouldn't need? Because like, no, no one needs to fucking like graduate college. Just fucking go out and start robbing people. Well, you know, make, make your own future. So you don't I'm really, need, you don't really need a piece of paper that says you're good enough to turn up to an office and wear a tie five days a week. Fuck that shit. So Jamie, really... gonna, you are my favourite self-help guru. <laughs> I never graduated <laughs> university, and look at me now, ma'am. <laughs> I am. A, I'm really glad you picked up on this, Jamie. Let's everyone, everyone, bear this in mind for later. Why would you need like a degree if you have all the money on you know the fucking God's earth, right? Just keep that in mind. This is a Chekhov's gun that will be useful later. Um, the only problem is like, so he decides he's going to be president of the United States. And unfortunately, he's a total dweeb, a huge asshole. And that dream fell apart in contact with air, like an ice cube against the surface of the sun, because nobody likes him. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to give you a little. Didn't he quote. try to like go around America and meet regular people? He did. And, and then he like did. <laughs> he did. Just gave himself a, a procession of panic attacks and then called the whole thing off. Yes, that's that is more or less word for word what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mark, if you're hearing this, if you're hearing I mean, this, give me five hundred million quid and I'll teach you to be normal. He's got all the fortitude of that one guy on something awful that was going to walk cross country with his little fucking cart. I mean, giving yourself a series of panic attacks is probably the most relatable thing he's ever done, though. So yeah, he just he pitched himself wrong. He he should have been like the yeah, I'm a useless Gen Z kind of waster made good man. Uh, but sadly, no. Instead, he decided to be the everyman, and that worked. I mean, there's a wonderful like it just is so beautiful. Chef's kiss fantastic of him on like a surfboard thing um holding an american flag going across a bay and it's like yeah, oh it's, my god it's deeply tragic to see people make these like incredibly misguided attempts to win popularity with the, the masses you could when you're in a position with enough money that you could probably like kill elon musk in a knife fight that would win you mm. way more love from the public than any <laughs> shit with a flag on a surfboard Pretty much, and, yeah. And, and as we all know from the Treehouse of Horror, the way that you really win people over is to have a Ameri uh, miniature American flag in one hand and an abortion in the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to kind of to kind of give you a, a little taste of the man personally, there's an article I'd like to quote from CNET um, that has basically it's, it's a review of a book that someone put out. Um, 
And specifically, it's a book called Chaos Monkeys, Obscene Fortune and Random Failure in Silicon Valley. Um, and it's by a former Facebook employee called Antonio Garcia Martinez, right? And he directly quotes Zuckerberg in this. And this is uh, just absolutely fantastic. Um, so I'm just going to quote a section of the article here for you guys to enjoy. Um you know, it chronicles uh, one part of Facebook's golden era. That would be the era in which the social network apparently vowed to crush Google+. It seems quaint now, with Google+, Plus looking like a shorn, legless poodle. Why is it with being legless in Facebook? God. Uh, however, in those heady days of 2011... It's the only way you can get through the days, James. <laughs> In those heady days of 2011, Zuckerberg put Facebook on so-called lockdown, says Martinez, a product manager between 2011 and 2013. Zuckerberg apparently saw Google Plus as a mortal that's, that's, threat. Um, so as, as an aside here, that like that two years in that two years as a product manager at Facebook, how many genocides around the world do you think that person was like implicated in? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Facebook being implicated in genocides is certainly something, it's an interesting topic to Google. We'll just leave that as uh, as an activity for our listeners. Um, so yeah, Zuckerberg apparently saw Google Plus as a mortal threat, so much so that he moved to consider its total destruction. Um, it's a fucking around- Google product. You can just <laughs> ignore it for like 20 minutes and they'll get bored and do something else. <laughs> So, no, Jamie, if you keep on going on like this, I'm just going to quit the podcast and go play on my Stadia. <laughs> barely even run a fucking search engine anymore these days. Jesus Christ, like. So this is a Reddit just fine. Yeah. So this is a this is a direct quote from the book now. Rounding off another beaded string of platitudes, Martinez writes. Uh, Zuckerberg changed gears and erupted with a burst of rhetoric, referencing one of the ancient classics he had studied at Harvard and before. Um, Martinez quotes the CEO as saying, you know, one of my favorite Roman orators ended every sentence with a phrase, Carfago delenda est. Carthage must be destroyed. For some reason, I think of that now. He's a statue guy. He's a fucking statue nonce. Like, you know, there's nothing else to, to say here. Um, but it, like it kind of goes on. Um, so there's a there's a kind of little bit which I find kind of interesting. Um, it doesn't paint a pretty picture of Google, but it gets a grip on Zuckerberg's stare. Martinez basically says that Zuckerberg has a stare so intense and withering it bordered on the psychopathic. Oh, bordered give on. it a fucking rest. Bordered on, right? So, so this is who the guy is. He, uh, when he's worried about something, he locks down base, calls everyone together, and gives a big dramatic speech where he quotes from like Roman orators. Uh, like this is who he is. It's just that's that's the guy. Yeah, and he um, stares at everyone like a psychopath. Basically, yeah, instilling the cold dread that comes from, that can only come from knowing you've somehow upset Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it looks like he's just staring, but he's actually just warming up. It's still quite early in the day. He's not had <laughs> enough time yet. So I, I, for one, am shocked that the guy who created the website for rating how hot women are is really good at staring. Yeah. It makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> he's not actually um, staring, to be fair to him. He's just blue screened. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so obviously, like, this guy goes out into real world and he tries his Roman senator shit and it just falls immediately flat and he torpedoes himself and he immediately goes home. So, yeah. so what he should really have persevered with that because I'm sure if he, like, when he got to Philadelphia, they'd have kicked fuck out of him like they did that hitchhiking robot. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what's our promised king to do when the people refuse to deliver? Um, and so the answer is, if he can't make the people choose him as leader of the realm, he just needs to make his own realm with blackjack and hookers, like he did last time with Facebook, right? And then force them to join it. Which kind of leads us to the present day, and we need to ask, so here we are in the world of meta, the era of meta, why meta? And the answer, I think, because is not... Of, like, because, you know what I mean, all of these fucking idiots are compelled to forever invent the torment nexus. Mm. They don't have any original <laughs> ideas. It's like they just read a bunch of William Gibson in the 80s and went, oh, that sounds really cool. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. What people don't understand is that the metaverse and the Horizon Worlds aren't quite the same thing. And so we'll talk about Horizon Worlds and you know how legless it is in more ways than one in a minute. I'm talking specifically about meta and the company meta and the metaverse, right? Which is distinct. It's not the VR thing. It's like this larger idea of like a platform and ecosystem. And the name Meta kind of makes sense. Like, it's not hard to surmise. He's clearly angling to make his company the one Meta company that sits atop all business and regulates how they work together. Um, essentially creating his own market in which business conducts its transactions. Because if, if Zuckerberg owns Meta and Meta becomes a framework for all business, then he has the economy by the balls and he basically owns everything and he's president de facto, right? That's the idea behind it. So in order to make this work... He's like, well, what good ideas do I have that could possibly kind of, you know, get us in this right direction? And this is when he turns to the tournament nexus, right? And so, you know, that's the big pitch for the metaverse is Horizon Worlds. It's a corporate version of Second Life. Your boss will force you to use for meetings. We first talked about it um, back in episode 166 to find Negative's pension. So go give that a listen if you haven't already. And that's it. It's, you know, the metaverse, Horizon Worlds, come for the business meetings, stay for the advertising and shopping opportunities. That's it. That's the pitch. That's the whole thing. It's it's just fucking, it, it's, again, though, the idea that, like, in the 80s, like, a bunch of fucking authors wrote about, like, a cyberspace where you jacked in and you, like, floated in a void and, like, traveled around a 3D fucking place to, to visit, you know, places and stuff. And that, that, thing is just not something you can fucking build on modern technology right like the the internet the the internet is a bunch of websites that's that's how it works because we have computers mm. we don't jack in until someone creates like a fucking way for you to like plug your brain directly into it and float in a void and travel around as if you were really there it's fucking pointless to try and build a 3d version of like you know current computers yeah. It's it, it just takes longer to do everything and it's more of a pain in the ass. And like who the fuck needs it? Like imagine if instead of just literally any device to get on the internet, you needed a fucking VR headset and a computer that could run a VR headset. It's it's insane. It's completely ridiculous. Like that's which why, why the pitch is why the Oculus Rift is doing so well. Yeah. yeah. The pitch at businesses because businesses can afford to like do stupid shit like that. Mm. Well, there's an interesting question whether they can continue to afford it. We'll get there. Um, I don't get why they think that if businesses are going to run their transaction everything through a company, why it would be Facebook, like a company that no one trusts with like their data or anything. It looks like Amazon exists, which 
for all the problems with Amazon, has actually achieved something. Yeah, businesses are actually using Amazon Web Services as mm-hmm. opposed to not fucking running anything from Facebook and having like pretty much every single website they've got blocked on all the internal company networks. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a company that people were like genuinely pissed off about having to engage with yeah. when they when uh, they bought Oculus and they had to use Facebook accounts to use Oculus at a certain yeah. point. Yeah, but I think I think the belief is. That like because like because a, a fucking like absolute dipshit rolls to be in charge of one of the more, like the biggest fucking social media companies on the planet. He just assumes that like everyone else who runs a business must be the, the same kind of dipshit who read like the same fucking books and fantasizes about the same three dimensional avatars like floating around in a void. Well, it seems futuristic. That's that's the whole point of it. It just seems it's like you know it's too late to like do fucking like to patent the internet as we mm-hmm. understand it today but it's not too late to invent a new shittier more complicated more expensive version of the internet which you can then patent yeah i mean this is the you know a bit of spoilers here but since you've raised it jamie like the secret if you if you are a capitalist and you want to get rich you have one option to become like godly rich which is you invent the necessary one significant platform at exactly the right time that everyone wants it and then you weather the first round of people who challenge you and then that's basically it but it's only a trick you can do once right if someone's already done it it's not really going to work for you not very well and you kind of see this, like, um, you know, the internet, unfortunately, was made through public works, right? Uh, and that meant that this couldn't happen. But if if we, like, if we imagine, like, a bizarro Max, Mark Zuckerberg back in the day, who somehow is the guy who invents the internet, and, like, I know that's impossible, but let's just run with it, then, yes, he would be richer than God. And this is the whole thing that drives capitalists. They want to be the guy who's the ultimate landlord for economic activity, and so this is what his bid is. This is what he's trying to do. And like to in a little bit of, you know, a little bit of context, like to bring the materialism into it for the benefit of the Marxists on the pod, like it's worth mentioning that Facebook had several pressures on it that meant they needed some kind of rabbit to pull out of the hat. And like in April this very year, the EU ruled that algorithms from companies like Facebook would need to be explained, which, okay, it's a bit nebulous, but it does actually do damage to the ability of Facebook to do the actual algorithmic manipulation work that gets them paid. Um, and it follows from the past few years of like scrutiny on political activities by Facebook and complaints about data protection at Facebook, including its attendant services like WhatsApp in particular. Um, and then when you get in, you know, you add that to the ongoing arguments about Facebook acting as a news syndication service and taking money away from BMOFs like News Corp, who remember bought out MySpace, um, the writing for, you know, Facebook has been on a wall for a while. They need something. They need another thing to bounce to because Facebook as an institution is fundamentally like hold is, is not going to hold. Uh, and that's what this is. That's, that's what it is. Like the idea is they're going to build something so big. And so fundamental, and allow them to extract such tremendous rents that Facebook will seem trivial in scale. And like you know, that, that this is basically what Facebook is. It's, it's the same pattern of Mark Zuckerberg's thought, which is if you don't like how your business is being regulated, then you know let's do corporate blackjack and business hookers this time. You know, it's the same thing. He's just he's trying to like go one step ahead of people telling them no by trying to build something. And yeah. if this sounds re- just like ridiculous, just to bring up something you mentioned like at the start of that where you know he couldn't invent the internet it's like yeah he couldn't none of like no one the idea of like an internet but for money 
it's not something anyone could invent. Like the success of the internet is because it's open and anyone can mm-hmm. go on and like, you know, net neutrality, rest it, God rest its soul and all this sort of stuff made it work. <laughs> yeah. And no one in business is capable of thinking like that. So no. if someone else had come up with it first and it had been patented, there'd be like 20 different internets that all worked on a slightly different level and didn't communicate yep. with each other. I mean, like to, to jump in, like that's what Google Fiber was attempting to be as well. Do you remember that shit? Yeah. Google basically were like, we'll set up our own version of the internet, but better. And unfortunately, they basically ran up against major physical problems, which is that it's impossible for something that's not a state entity to really build this properly. So yeah, like, but it's the same impulse, the impulse to own. So, but yeah. well, that's it. I've got about five different analogies in my head going at once. So the first one is like the the internet as utility, like train lines and power and water, mm-hmm. where there's like a, a natural monopolies. There's only one internet you want to use. Yeah, and uh, and the thing that Zuckerberg's trying to do is is he's trying to like essentially uh, like Thomas Edison the internet, mm-hmm. whereas I just steal someone else's invention and then sell it. And and the last thing I wanted to say was it was a reference to the trash future, which is you know the 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 UK is just the USSR but shit and expensive, mm-hmm. and like the USSR to the UK is as the internet to the metaverse, which is like the metaverse is just the internet but shit and expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of holds, kind of holds, but you know, like we're all seeing that this is fundamentally flawed, right? And you're probably thinking, if you're in the audience, you're kind of going, well, this is all good and well, but, you know, Facebook's a big company, so there's going to be multiple, like, you know, pressures on here, and it's not all just going to be down to Zuckerberg. And while it's entertaining to reify the bad decisions of Facebook as being Mark Zuckerberg, that's probably not the case, right? Except, no, wrong, you idiot. Uh, Actually, it turns out that Mark Zuckerberg holds 55% of voting shares in the company. Um, and this comes from a former employee and whistleblower, Francis Hogan, who told Congress, um, it's very unique in the tech industry, she said, there are no similarly powerful companies that are as unilaterally controlled. Oh, this is a dated article. Can you tell where we're going next? Um, mm. Or to put more bluntly, in another part of the hearing, there is no one currently holding Mark accountable but himself. And so his foibles become everyone's foibles, right? And, it, you know, from his possession, why shouldn't it work? Um, There was a social media website before Facebook, and he shouldered it aside to make something better. And so why not do Move Over Second Life? Let Zuck show you how it's done. Smash cut to Meta shares are down more than 60% in the past year. (laughs) The company has lost more than $700 in market value since the peak in 2021. Fuck. Um, And yeah, like this is the story. It's the story of a modern folly, right? But it's like every decision that Facebook makes in like the last 10 years is everyone complains about it, but they stay on there because that's where all their friends are. Yeah. The reason this doesn't work is because no one's going there. Yeah. Like it's not, well, this is shit and I don't like the changes, but this is where everyone is already. There's no inertia there. So it's like, you can't make this. You shouldn't have been able to make Facebook. And this is this is like you said, reality finally happening to Mark Zuckerberg. But if you're if you're listening to all of this and you're saying, right, well, you know, Mark Zuckerberg being like the god king of Facebook and having like almost unilateral control, given he's an idiot, an absolute dunce, a statue nonce, and just you know basically got lucky and greedy, how has it actually been running? Um, the answer is that for about fourteen years he had a kind of partner in crime, um, several, excuse me 
Sheryl Sandberg, who was the chief operating officer of Facebook and then Meta Platforms Incorporated. And she basically, according to the, the scuttlebutt, like the, you know, the inside story, she made it run. Until earlier this year, when she finally gave up and was like, right, the writing's on the wall, there's nothing I can do here. And she bailed from the company, um, which she did in a Facebook post, quite ironically, putting it's time to write the next chapter of my life in it, among other things. Um, but yeah, essentially, you know, the story goes that, according to rumour, um, there were tensions between her and Zuckerberg and between rival factions that were forming on their executive and PR teams as basically... It sounds like a bunch of people decided they had, uh, you know, cool ideas on how they could make a buck. And she was the only one explaining, no, this won't work. No, you can't do this. And just got tired of it. Just completely done. Had she tried putting someone in the corner of the office with a Matrix code screensaver to make it look like they were working? <laughs> Again, this is, a, this is an interesting premonition, premonition of what's going to be coming up. But like... Uh... The downfall coincides with her leaving, but it's also around the same time that the economy became real again and things had to be made, like produced. And I think there's possibly some element of like of, of superstitious thinking where this one person arrives. She said 14 years, so that's like mm. 2008 to 2022, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, like when it, interest rates were zero for like the whole... <laughs> So she's she's just there for the whole time where you can just like just turn on a tap and money pours out of it. Mm, yeah. And then she leaves when that stops happening. It's like, wow, she's a really a genius that made this whole thing run. <laughs> well, I think it was more just, you know, there was room to accommodate the boy king during this period. Because this is like, right, spoiler, this is where we're ultimately going. We're going to talk about the finance side of it. But um, it's funny you say that because she left in June this year. Back in April, Mark Zuckerberg said something to investors. Direct quote, expect nothing from the metaverse. <laughs> he, uh, um, he put a 10-year timeline on returns from Reality Labs, basically. He said that, um, you know, CEO Mark Zuckerberg suggested it could be roughly seven to 10 years before the company's investments in building immersive virtual worlds produced any net revenue. And the, the article I'm reading from, which is on Coindesk, I know, right? But um, for many serious investors, it's a functional equivalent of saying it'll never have money, essentially. Um, and that's like, you know, he says that in April and in June, she bails. Like, it's, it's really not hard to see the writing on the wall, the timeline of it all coming together. And um, speaking of Coindesk, I'd like to do a little tiny article read, a mini article read, um, that just kind of gets to the heart of this. Because uh, there's an article that was published uh, back in September, um, an opinion piece called The Continued Unraveling of Mark Zuckerberg's Malicious Metaverse um, by David Z. Morris. Uh, I should say David Z. Morris, being very American now. Um, but there's just, a, there's just a little section I'd like to read, just a few paragraphs here. Um, it just starts with, a real business? Question mark. But this is all just theatre and window dressing, however gobsmackingly inane. The real question is how Meta's Reality Labs is doing as a business. And the answer is, surprisingly, maybe better than you think, but still pretty rotten once you scratch the surface. You see, it turns out that Meta actually sold a whole lot of its Oculus Quest 2 headsets over the 2021 holiday season, with app installs suggesting about 2 million new units activated over a two-week period. For comparison, a little over 20 million total PlayStation 5 consoles and 15 million Xbox Series X's units have been sold in the past two years. 
But that comparison itself is a problem for Zuckerberg's real goals. If the Quest or successor units are successful as video game consoles, they're probably still a failure. You see, the units are almost certainly being sold at a big loss. This more or less affirms that the long-term business model is the same kind of data harvesting and ad monetization that Facebook and Instagram run on. That means Zuckerberg doesn't actually want you using the headset for playing super hot VR. He wants you in Horizon World specifically, having the kind of data-rich social interactions that you can use to spy on your tastes, habits, and network, then nudge you into clicking on advertisements. The problem is that Horizon World is not just unimpressive graphically, but functionally clunky and basically pointless. Most crucially, <laughs> there's seemingly no equivalent to the stream of posts and updates that keep people coming back to the actually successful Facebook and Instagram products. And I, I kind of like this little parag paragraphs because it, it just, it lays bare that Zuckerberg's just doing the same thing again. He's just doing exactly the same sort of thing and hoping it'll work. He's cargo culting his own Facebook, essentially, but using the metaverse to do it. And like Jamie said, if your platform requires everyone, rather than using any device, they have to go out and buy an Oculus Rift, it's just not going to work. And that's it. That That is, in a nutshell, where Facebook is at. And they really aren't looking hot. I think we should give them exactly what he wants. Plug everything he's got into fucking VR chat and see how long he likes data. <laughs> Goddamn. It's just like fucking, you know, smash cut to that scene from Event Horizon, frankly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, that, that's, one, that's one of our first stories, but that's only one company, right? So what about the other one? Because I said earlier that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg having such, you know, large control of Facebook is kind of, it's unusual, right, in the sector. But can we think of another instance where a high-profile billionaire has gained almost unilateral control over a, a social media platform and it's all gone really well? That's right, we're talking about Twitter.com. Um, it is time to just return briefly to Elon because, like, let's be real. You we've haven't done this, this to, yet. Yeah, we, we've done this to death. We've absolutely done Twitter to death, but it's the same story, and we know it quite well. It's um, well, it, it is a slightly different story in that Zuckerberg did actually do some work to make Facebook. I suppose, but again, based on like the internal rumors, it seems to be more that he had a product and had the right people to bring on. So I suppose if you count doing the HTML at the very beginning, yeah, and, you uh, I mean know, that's more than Elon Musk has ever done in his life. Well, it's true. I mean, would it surprise you to know that contrary to popular belief, Elon Musk hasn't graduated from college either, but he desperately oh. wants you to believe he has. Doesn't he want you to believe he's graduated with like two, twice from yes. University of Pennsylvania, is it? Yeah, he wants yeah. you to think he's like fucking Mark Ruffalo in like the Avengers. He's got like six yeah. PhDs or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why not just do something with your life instead of just six PhDs? Well, the, the, well, they the, can get some six PhDs nuts. The, That's the, right. Kind of horrible <laughs> thing of it. <laughs> oh dear. The, the fundamental thing of it is like Mark Zuckerberg is like, I've got more money than God. Fuck you. I don't need like any creditation. Whereas Elon Musk desperately wants you to like him, and he desperately wants to be epic to get you to like him. So he has to be like you know this genius, this super guy. And mm -hmm. so he he literally like he has this whole thing about like basically having a fake degree and may have committed immigration fraud perhaps according to some people, um, you know, which is honestly the Knox Reddit campus. Honestly, <laughs> the least of his crimes. 
Well, I mean, that's the thing. Um, but it's, it's here we have the same kind of story. We have a billionaire coming into possession of a social media, you know, uh, operation. Admittedly tripping into it, like, I don't know, if if Mark Zuckerberg tripped over his own dick to fall into success, then Elon Musk fell into it arse first, basically, as he tried to, is my, my pure surmise that he was trying to sell off his Tesla stock without, uh, you know, triggering a run on it. And so he put it, you know, I, I maintain, I, I you know, my surmise is that he was trying to sell his Tesla stock without causing a run on it. And so he said, oh, I'm doing it to maybe buy Twitter. And then, you know, his plan was to back out of the sale. But unfortunately, the court of Delaware said, no, you've signed a contract and you are but a man before the force of law. Also, it'd be very funny to make you buy this. So here he is owning Twitter and coincidentally being owned by Twitter in a reciprocal arrangement. Like, it's all great. I'd be wary of um, accusing him of anything like success when it comes Mm -hmm. to owning Twitter because, like... (laughs) Oh, but look at all those weird nerds in his mentions telling him how great he is and posting pictures they drew of him and like fucking all that sort of shit. Imagine how difficult it is for him to get even a sad wank out about that kind of like affection. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so speaking of his fans, I did hear from uh, I listened to another podcast, um, uh, Blocked Party, and they said the worst thing you can search on Twitter is it's to Elon Musk and. The phrase "Can you invent?" Yeah. <laughs> Strangely, a uh, question. It's like headlines. If you have to ask a question, the answer is probably no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. He he. The board of directors of Twitter basically said, "Yeah, we'll we'll accept your forty-four billion buyout deal. That's incredibly. Not only is it overpriced, but it's overpriced at a time where Twitter was going to be circling the drain for the same structural reasons as Facebook." Um, but Elon was forced into it and did, you know, the deal closed on October 27th and, you know, he took over and immediately fucked it, as best we can tell. Um, I don't know about you guys, but earlier today, my list of who had replied to tweets wasn't loading. It was just saying, sorry, can't load that right now. Oh, so, you know, it's dropping off that fucking website by the minute. Yeah. yeah. It's like Elon Musk is leprosy and he's, you know, infected Twitter with it, essentially. Would you, I, the, you know what I mean? It's like I use Twitter a lot, as people will know. And um, I am quite addicted to it. And it's going to be annoying if it goes under because, like, you know, mm. there will be much less fucking, like, uh, agreeable to my particular brand of hooliganism on Mastodon, I should imagine. <laughs> but on the plus side, if we get if we get Elon Musk to go, the, like, to do the full Bud Dwyer out of it, I'll be happy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, this is, this is the world we live in now. We have oligarchs that are essentially owning platforms, getting to subject them to their own personal wins uh, and whims. And, you know, ultimately, like, just running them into the ground. So I think the question we need to ask is rather than, like, get deep into Elon Musk and how he's fucked Twitter, because everyone knows. We know how he got here. We know what he's done, which is fire all the people who know how to make it work and alienate the ones who maybe could have helped him kind of keep it on an even keel. Um, And he's now currently, according to what I've heard, he's paying a billion a year in interest payments um, on, you know, the loans he got to buy the site. Um, rather than get like super deep into that, how about we address the real problem and we get to the actual proper article read for tonight? Because I have an article from Defector.com um, by David Roth called Everything is Silicon Valley Now. So, shortly before the World Series began, the Atlantic's Derek Thomason tried to figure out why he didn't care about baseball anymore. Many writers have taken this question on and yet the inquiry has produced strikingly few good answers. There's nothing revelatory about finding that things you cared about in one stage of your life matter less to you in another. 
there's nothing inherently significant to it either. There comes a time in nearly every person's life when we find they just don't enjoy playing Operation as much as they used to. And then in brackets, a whole paragraph. There are other people whose passion for a thing never diminishes and whose personalities are forced to grow into strange gnarled shapes around that devotion. Some of those people will find as they get older, they are in fact profoundly angry that not enough other people talk about how fun and actually important and even mythic and poetic the game of Operation is and who would like to have their lives inside the universe in which Operation and what its box calls its classic ailments unfolds. This is why our popular culture is how it is. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it certainly explains a lot of Elon's reply, guys. Anyway, I mean, I would I would highly dispute the point that Operation like references classic ailments. I don't know about you, but I've never heard of anyone's fuzzy anyone anyone's funny bone buzzing when like touched. Isn't that the point of a funny bone? <laughs> But yeah, so he continues, The answer that Thompson discovers is not an unreasonable one. He identifies the fetish for optimization and efficiency that has overtaken baseball during the last two decades as a destructive force that has both flattened the aesthetic experience of the game and squeezed some essential unpredictability from it. In the global sense, this is true. With the exception of the MLB organisations that operate as ad hoc men's Bible study groups, or buck-raking Potemkin franchises, or gilded fidget spinners for mediocre local tyrants and their dipshit kids, most big league games operate off the same set of best practices, and so wind up doing very similar things. If you like baseball, you might not mind this. Thompson's complaint that the sport is increasingly dependent on homers and strikeouts would naturally bother you less if you thought those things were cool. But a sufficiently optimised sport will necessarily deliver dispiriting new frontiers. The young pitchers at the Astros road to on a World Series win, for instance, were disproportionately national prospects, but teams signed a little later and much deeper than their personal peers. The pitchers are cool, but it's not really that inspiring. But Thompson's big right was that baseball feels off, and that all the calculation and grim managerial cynicism are shown up downstream for a game that feels to him calculated, cynical, and managed into entropy. This seems like a more individual complaint. If you want to write it by the Phillies and Baltimore season, and Bryce Harper's open the return, you might not like baseball anymore. But you can also appreciate, say, Christian Javier's incredibly exploding fastball, even if you're bothered by the near-universe of fastballs, sliders down coach, and hold over the fact the Astros signed Javier. The 10,000 out of the Dominican Republic, because the other teams thought he was too old at 17 to qualify as a meaningful prospect. Can you tell the guy writing this as a baseball nerd? It, it, was this written by Benjamin Sisko's Vulcan nemesis? <laughs> I mean, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> You can be awestruck at what the Astros have built and their seamless transition from one dynastic period into another and still find the specifics of how they've done it fully repellent. And so, you know, he goes on and he goes on and he goes on about uh, baseball. Um, oh, but then more. he gets. Oh, yeah. No, there's more and more paragraphs. I just read that much For to make a point. Sake. Right. So I will spare you and I'll skip to where he gets interesting. I do not the need... last paragraph. <laughs> I do not need to tell you that baseball isn't the only place where things that might be transcendent are caught in some boss's long shadow and stunted by executive cynicism, or cornball vanity, or both. It's not just a feeling, but a fact that this moment is increasingly governed by the fatuity of the richest and most powerful people in the culture, and warped everywhere to reflect and serve their antic restlessness and idle sadism and zealously anhedonic overall mindset. These powerful people are boring and smug and greedy, but also so uninterested in anything but their dorky feuds and faddish self-flattering worldview that they must mostly tend to just reproduce all that. Because these people are bought so much, not just like politics and the news media, but things that people actually enjoy and use all the time, the consequences of that small-mindedness rush downhill daily. For all the grandiose talk about the light of consciousness and the future of humanity that has come out of Silicon Valley during its ascent, what it has delivered has mostly been spectacularly useless, lifeless, and anti-human. 
In this sense, it reflects its owners perfectly. The same people lend each other money back and forth in reskinned pursuit of what these people always want done for them, to be served by strangers promptly, to get over on everyone else and each other, to get richer even as they sleep. There's also the effort, which is not new among rich dullards, to create an ideological framework that explains why their dippy whims are not only just, but vital to human progress. This, is also, this also has the residual effect of creating some demeaning jobs, in this case for servile house intellectuals and not task rabbits. And he's basically like, there's links in that, which link through, can you guess, can you guess what he's talking about when he talks about creating an ideology to justify their whims? I mean, those fucking um, dipshits we mentioned a while back, you know, where they're like, oh, if we, if we kill like enough poor people today, then it'll mean like, you know, a billion years from now, humanity will colonize like the moon. Ding, ding, ding. It's effective altruism. Um, <sighs> yeah. Oh, Mr. Bankman freed. Yeah. As in baseball, there are systems and structures in place that make all of us feel permanent. A culture and politics so bent out of shape by the worship of wealth will naturally serve the rich and powerful much better than it will serve anyone or anything else. The pressure of that class's comfort, the figurative weight of them lazing around atop everything, increasingly bears down on everyone, everywhere. Their amusements crowd out anything else. Their preferences are reflected blindingly and echoed deafeningly. Everyone is more or less left to nod along and either laugh at their jokes or not. This is not really good for anyone. The masses groan and struggle, but mostly just deal with it. The men on top soften and become weirder in the absence of consequence or pushback or even modest friction. It is absolutely meaningful that Elon Musk is a stupendously whack human being. Love that line. Just uh, stupendously whack human being. Spectacular. I love the mind that wrote this. He's mostly a bore, heroically humorless and selfish, a bully and a cretin. For someone often described as a visionary, Musk is toweringly incurious. But because Musk is so rich, his defects are everyone's business. Because Musk now owns Twitter, a ridiculous, ungovernable, justifiably beloved place where people shout at each other and famous people and share links and make jokes, Musk's personal wackiness is now everyone else's problem. And there's an insert of an Elon Musk tweet that just has, I love when people complain about Twitter, dot, 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 on Twitter, cry laugh emoji, cry laugh emoji, 1.3 million likes. Mm. Yeah. If it is probably useful at some level to be reminded that extremely rich and powerful people are just like this, it is also annoying because Musk's hyperactive corniness is breaking a website that people really like and because his greasy fingerprints are now absolutely everywhere on it. If every cultural product on the market increasingly reflects a fundamental inhumanity and cynicism and brazen lazy defectiveness in the institutional and structural forces that produce it, that is doubly true on Elon Musk's Twitter. Doubly uncanny too, given that while Musk himself is addicted to the site, he somehow seems to have no idea what it does, or how it is used, or by whom, or why. Characteristically, he seems to have little interest in figuring any of that out. And so, yeah, little, the, the article kind of continues through and it explains like the history of fuck-ups that Elon Musk has inflicted on Twitter in such a short space of time. Um, but here, here's kind of a closing paragraph that I want to leave our, our listeners with. It's a cycle. People create something together that reflects their energy and weird work. That thing becomes compelling as a result, and that makes it valuable. And at some point, someone puts a price on it, and someone else pays that price. 
It is at that moment that the thing begins to change. The new owner will almost always decide that what is most interesting about the thing is not the human essence that gave it value, but the owner himself, and will act accordingly. People will come back for the valuable stuff until the owner succeeds in crowding it out. When that crowding is done, the owned thing dies. Until then, what's left is just what's valuable. The humanity and brilliance and unpredictability and fun that all that cynical and idiotic and self-serving wealth is always and everywhere busy replacing with itself. There's nothing to do but look for the good stuff until the looking becomes too challenging or until it's gone. Yeah, well, search is broken, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's it. And I, you know, the reason I read that is because ultimately I think it's a pretty apt description of where everything's at. And because behind all of this is, as Jordan and as you, Jamie, said, it's the money. Because since 2007, you know, in 2007, the crash meant that a lot of people were suddenly sitting around with nothing to do but post. And a lot of investors were sitting around looking for promising avenues in which to sink their cash. And low bank interest rates and free money meant that the rich who weathered the storm had cash to burn and wanted opportunities. And that's why Facebook and Twitter ballooned during the period. Um, And for all their lives, they've ridden high on free cash for investors and the posting renaissance of people who suddenly in 2008 realised nothing matters. And so now, like Rob said in previous episodes, it's all gone. The music's well and truly stopped. The free money has disappeared. And it's a double whammy for Facebook and Meta as now investors need returns to throw money at companies. Um, And so companies start by cutting your advertising budget um, to better their immediate financials and social media being running on advertising is, is screwed as a consequence. And it's just going to roll downhill. Like, we're going to see more and more of these companies go belly up. And as we go belly up, they're going to be bought by more and more rich people. We're going to see the same kind of pattern play out. And the only people that will be left standing at the end of it will be tech companies that actually make stuff and don't waste money on expensive boondoggles. Uh, if you know one of those, write in. The age of the meta is over. Now is the time of Gaben. <laughs> <laughs> Like you should come as no surprise to anyone that rich people will create ideologies to justify the gross inequality and the poverty and the, their grotesque excess that they enjoy. Because you know, there's it, it goes as far as like into religion where they basically invented a type of gate uh, called the eye of a needle gate. Mm. which didn't actually ever exist, but they, they just created that as like a thing that it existed in history. So they would be able to get into heaven, right? It's like the, yeah. it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a fully laden camel to, get, or something like that, you know, the other way around. But yeah, it, it's it's like the the they would kind of subvert the word of God to let them stay rich. So of course they're going to come up with like these ideologies of effective altruism and all of, and everything else to justify themselves. What I find interesting about it though, is the net effect of all of this, all of this, like, you know, um, justification, all of the surface of it, it, it all boils down to the fact that we're just going to have to deal with a succession of guys a succession of Elon Musk's, a succession of Mark Zuckerberg's, who are just slowly going to slather themselves over everything that we actually use and enjoy, you know? Well, David, uh, I think I've thoroughly exhausted us all with that grim look at where we're all headed and why we can't do anything about it. Um, Could you cheer us up? Yeah, I'll reset us with a short comment or commentary. Do you know the weirdest fucking thing on this podcast is when someone decides to read an article that's mostly agreeable? 
Like, <laughs> it just it throws me off every fucking time. Every time I hear the words article read, I'm just ready to scream. And that <laughs> didn't happen that time. So let's see comment or commentary that will satisfy that. Millions of Britons do support public ownership of utilities, a wealth tax, and workers taking strike action. The platform, it must be said, Starmer himself stood on in the leadership election and that these left-wing candidates represent. Must their values be excluded from British politics, from frontline Labour politics? And if this is the attitude of the Labour leadership towards its party's internal democracy, what of its attitude to democracy in general when it has the chance to serve? Comment or commentariat? Commentariat? I'm gonna, is that Owen Jones? I, I think it might be co- uh, commentariat. Yeah, commentary. Why not? Owen Jones is a Guardian columnist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, David, I can't get away from the fucker today. Oh, oh man, this is someone who has me blocked on Twitter, and I can still just get him from a mile away. <laughs> Britain has a proud record of anti-racism and opportunity for all. <laughs> commentary. <laughs> 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 That's why so many people of all races and creeds go to incredible lengths to come here. Commentary mm. to portray us as this film clearly will, as bigoted and hate-filled as an outrageous calumny. They are gaslighting an entire nation to suit their own tawdry agenda. The truth is that the tide of British public opinion turned against them only because of their manipulative behaviour and all-consuming narcissism. The documentary is clearly going to be a grotesque parody. It may be their truth, but it certainly isn't one recognised by millions in this country. It is also deeply cruel and spiteful, not least to Harry's long-suffering brother and his wife. Comment yep. commentary. Uh, commentary. This is the circle in the wagons to protect the firm. Charles Moore? Um, it was a coward's commentary, actually. That was just the Daily Mail unnamed editorial. <laughs> As the Anglican church loses its way, Wokery has become the official creed of our land, promoted by its followers with the kind, <laughs> with the kind of... Um, promoted by its followers with the kind of bullying fanaticism that infused the Cromwellian Puritans. Oh, when I say comment, you say (laughs) Ariot. The progressive orthodoxy, which now prevails throughout the establishment, does not involve any attachment to a spiritual deity, but it resembles a zealous religious cult, complete with purity tests, witch hunts, and heresy trials. Despite the rhetoric rhetoric about inclusion, the social justice warriors inhabit a culture obsessed with punishing any transgressions of its rules and view everything through the prism of its warped ideology. Much of civic Britain increasingly lives under the influence of a bigoted minority that has no respect for history, tolerance, freedom or humanity. (laughs) Common or commentary. Right, I've I've changed my mind. That's... 100% 100% a comment under a Peppa Pig video. <laughs> <laughs> so as I was listening to that, I was like, oh, at, at first I was like, is that Richard Littlejohn? But as it went on, I was it's like, nah. one the, of the, that crowd. Nah, it, it's not it's Richard Littlejohn. Littlejohn Little or fucking like uh, 22 Miles of Heed or fucking mm. um, <laughs> that other cunt whose name escapes me. Yeah, it's a like, No Man's Sky Steam on. review. It's like, I, I think, right. <laughs> 
it, it's either a BBC comment section or it's maybe Brendan like I don't think it's okay. Richard Littlejohn just because I think the, the writing level is too high he usually okay, but once, again, once again reminding everyone the game is comment or commentaria not specific which specific comment was this <laughs> okay uh, some people Jordan. like to play on hard mode yeah Jordan what do you think I'm, I'm saying comment I'll go with comment BBC okay. News Oops, all commentary at. That was Leo McKinstry in The Express. Yeah, all right. Okay, okay. And that's it. That's all I've got for comment or commentary at. So... I do, um, I, I do know if that what if that had been a comment, it would have been completely irrelevant to whatever it was... To, like yes. the article oh, it yeah, was yeah. under. 100% <laughs> nailed on. The comment on Podbean under this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay um, well first off Jordan thank you very much for coming on at um, such short notice anytime yeah. where can people find you yeah, uh, promote the music from uh, Peace at Home <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can find me on the Peace at Home podcast weekly but not always credited <laughs> <laughs> yes and then get your shit together <laughs> guess who fucked it <laughs> Yeah, that'll okay. do. That, that's, I, I can't bother to promote anything else. Oh, donate yeah. to the CW uh, strike fund. Yes, do that. Support your posties. Yeah. Um, also, um, listen to Com Radio. Uh, the not much happening just now, but there's plenty of episodes there already. Anyway. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Um, so be on the lookout for more episodes. Some strong opinions about invasions. It's surprisingly pro. <laughs> And you can find us on Patreon for more episodes. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash PraxisCast. We have a couple of bonus episodes coming out this month. We just released a couple last month as well. So, yeah, uh, come join us. We'll have episodes coming out all throughout the festive period, etc. So look for us there. Also check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash PraxisCast. Um, we have regular streams running on Thursdays and um, Wednesdays. usually Wednesdays as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, come check us out there, and me, you, you, fuck it, just go away. That's it. We're done. Bye. <laughs> Bye, shirt. I do that too. Bye. Praxiscast.tmail.com. Bye. See ya. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>